Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So church, one of the things that I have shared with you before, and I'm going to continue to tell you, is that I love sweets. Uh, I just have this incredible sweet tooth. Uh, one of my good friends, I was, in, I was a groomsman in his wedding, and on his wedding website, you know, he gave descriptions of his friends, uh, and mine said, former roommate, insatiable sweet tooth. And that was it. Uh, I thought there were other ways to describe me. Apparently, that's it. But this idea of having a sweet tooth, you know, uh, if I had to choose one thing, it would be a chocolate chip cookie, and of course, always paired with a nice glass of milk. Uh, you know, I find it a little ironic that my name is Nicholas because I think that I have something really in common with jolly old Saint Nick. But having said that, uh, there's this idea that as we get older, our taste buds change, you know, our sensibilities change, and our palates are supposed to mature. And that just hasn't happened for me, honestly. Uh, I still love sweets, and I really did when I was a kid, too. And I want to share a story about what that was like for me. But before I get into that, I want to talk about uh, how people design stores. So whoever designed like Walmart and Target and grocery stores and stuff like that, uh, they really must have wanted kids to suffer the greatest tragedy when they're leaving the store. You see, because after spending anywhere from 5 to 60 minutes in the store with mom and dad, uh, kids finally see the finish line, but then right as they approach it, the candy. The shelves and shelves of candy, all different shapes and colors and sizes, and all of a sudden, the kids want to be there, just looking at all of the candy. And every once in a while, a kid goes and grabs a piece of candy. I was that kid. And so, uh, my mom and I are uh, leaving the store. I was probably three or four years old, so, you know, this is coming down from my mom. But we're leaving the store, and of course, I see the candy. And I grab a bag, and I go to my mom, 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 can I please have this piece of candy? She looks at me and she says, no, papito, you can't. So uh, that didn't deter me. You see, instead, I decided to switch my point of attack. See, I knew my mom pretty well, I guess, and uh, I knew that, like any other parent, she wanted me to be healthy. So I grabbed the candy again and I said, mom, mom, can I please have this piece of candy? It's fat low. Uh, my mom looked at me, she smiled. She took the candy and put it back on the shelf, and we kept it moving. Uh, so I didn't get that candy that day, but nonetheless, I always asked. Uh, every day, even beyond that, uh, I continued to ask in hopes that I would get this candy. Uh, and this idea of continually asking for something, uh, that's kind of what our parable talks about today. Uh, there's a widow in our story who keeps asking for something, yet, except it's a little deeper than candy. Uh, in fact, her request is a little more focused. Uh, see, our widow in the story requests justice, but Jesus is actually teaching us something even greater than that. Uh, Jesus is teaching us about prayer. See, because when we want something, don't we ask God for it? Aren't we requesting and asking and seeking God for the things that we want? And the reality is, our prayers don't get answered in the way that we want, but in the way that God wants. And yet his promise to us is that he always answers our prayers. And so church, I want you to keep this in mind this morning. God's people pray. So our text for today, uh, this text from Luke, we find Jesus doing what Jesus does, teaching his disciples. Uh, and he talks about two different people in the story. The first one is an unrighteous judge. And in the text, 
Jesus describes this man as a man who did not fear God and a man who did not respect man. Uh, so in the Bible, when we talk about the fear of God, it's kind of a twofold application. The first thing is to have a fear of God that is reverent of God, to be in awe of God. God is the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth. And so when we go before him, we are supposed to be reverent and in awe of this almighty God. And the second one, well, is actually fear. See, uh, especially if you're a sinner, which I know all of you are, you should have a healthy fear of God. Uh, God is the God who tears down earthly rulers and he breaks down kingdoms in the name of Jesus. And so when he does these things, it's okay to have a little fear of that almighty God. But for this judge, he was unrighteous, so unrighteous, in fact, that he did not have a fear of God. And then he didn't respect man. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever uh, had to go to court or you've ever thought about sitting before a judge, you probably want someone who respects you. See, but this judge didn't do that. He didn't care about man, and yet he often held people's lives in his hands. But he didn't respect man. Now we get to the second character in our story, uh, our widow. And the widow, well, her life was really hard. And of course, society made it harder. See, being a widow in Jewish culture was uh, uh, something that was so negative, in fact, that she didn't even get the respect she deserved just as a person. Uh, see, and not only that, she was going through some difficult economic situations because that was the life of a widow. And she was ostracized from her community because that was the life of a widow. And so over and over again, we see this widow dealing with suffering. And so when she goes before now, this unrighteous judge who doesn't respect God and doesn't respect man, uh, we wonder what the result is going to be. And what could she possibly ask for? Well, her plea is very clear. If you look at our text for today, in verse 3, the woman goes before this judge and she says, give me justice against my adversary. She wants justice. Justice against her adversary. And based on her life situation, it's fair to assume that she probably has been served injustice by a lot of people. And now she sits before this unrighteous judge seeking justice, hoping that it's going to happen. But it would seem that that's not how this judge is going to act. And yet, Jesus says in the story, in verse 4, he says, For a while the judge refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So once again, uh, this judge makes it clear that it's not about the fact that he doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man, but it's simply because this widow is persistent. And she's basically so annoying that he's finally going to give in to her. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if it was just that easy? That when we wanted something, we just had to ask for it and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking, and eventually we would get it. I mean, isn't that what Jesus says? If you look at verses 6 and 8, uh, Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge said, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If I'm reading this text correctly, it sounds like 
if we just keep on asking, eventually we'll get what we want. But that's not really what Jesus is saying here. And that's not exactly how it works. See, if you read between the lines, we're missing something about this widow. See, if you think about the widow's situation, she was separated from her community. She didn't have a place to fit in or a place to belong. She wasn't respected by anyone. This widow was enduring suffering. And in fact, the one way that we can relate to the widow so well is through her suffering. See, because we endure suffering in our lives. Suffering is part of the world. Suffering is in the world all around us and even in our own lives. I read a story the other day, about two weeks ago now, that was in the news, and some of you may have heard about it, some of you may have not, uh, but it was a story about a man named Botham Jean. Uh, Botham was a 26-year-old black man who was killed in his Dallas, Texas apartment by an off-duty police officer. And to make things a little bit more complicated, uh, the police officer thought that she had gone into her apartment when really she was in his apartment. And to make it more complicated, it was a white female police officer. And to make it more complicated, uh, this was at a time where all around our nation, we had seen acts of injustice and acts of violence between uh, white police officers and, and black, unarmed black men. And so all of this is happening. And the reason it came back into the news cycle is because the trial ended on October 2nd. And the verdict was handed down uh, 10 years in prison for this police officer. And immediately, cries of injustice went out. There's no way that's justice. There's no way that's what she deserves. She deserves more. People are crying about all of these things. And as I read through the articles, something uh, dawned on me. No matter what punishment was handed down, no matter what sentence was given, Botham's family was going to continue to suffer his loss. And in fact... Even if they had felt that justice had been carried out well, they were still going to suffer his loss. See, even in the midst of a story that is so complex with so many factors and so many things that we can't even begin to address, the reality of it is suffering is real. Suffering for that family is real. And we all experience suffering too. We experience suffering in our illnesses. We experience suffering in the broken, broken and fractured relationships we have in the world. We experience suffering when we lose a loved one. Suffering shines darkest in the midst of death. And yet, suffering happens to everyone. Let's call a thing what it is, church. Suffering is a result of living in a sinful and broken world. There is no escape for suffering. That's why good people suffer and bad people suffer. That's why Christians suffer and non-Christians suffer. Because suffering is a result of living in a sinful world. And there is nothing we can do here on earth to escape that suffering. But there is something we can do in the face of suffering. See, in the midst of suffering, we have been given a job. We have been told what we can do. And in fact, that's what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. If you look back as the parable begins, Scripture says this. 
And he, Jesus, told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Church, in the face of suffering, the first and most important thing we can do is pray. And not because prayer is some sort of magical spell or prayer just makes things happen. No, church, we pray because that's what Jesus did. Jesus prayed. Over and over and over again, Jesus prayed. He prayed in the face of suffering. And if there is a man who knew suffering, it was Jesus. Because he lived the perfect life here on earth. He did the things that you and I cannot do. He loved his neighbor and he prayed for his enemies. And yet, when it all came down to it, he was the one who suffered. And he suffered in the greatest way. He suffered death. And it was an unjust death. See, because Jesus didn't deserve to be beaten and spit on in front of a crowd. Jesus didn't deserve to be paraded around with a cross on his back. Jesus didn't deserve to die on that cross. But that's exactly what he did. He suffered death so that you and I would have life. The greatest suffering that Jesus did for us gives us something. It gives us life. And so how do we respond? Well, we pray. That's what God's people do. God's people pray. And if you're not doing it, you better start. If for no other reason than the fact that Jesus himself commands us to pray, consider what Jesus says at the end of our parable this morning. In verse 8. Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? What a polarizing question for us. Will Jesus find faith? I wondered what, I don't know how to answer this. And then all of a sudden it became clearer and clearer. Uh, of course, absolutely, yes, when Jesus returns, he will find faith. And it's not because of anything that we do, it's because of what he did. By the power of his death and resurrection, he did not leave us alone in our suffering. He gave us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit transforms hearts and minds. And the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ. It leads us to live a life like Jesus. Therefore, the Holy Spirit leads us to live lives of prayer. Because that's what Jesus did. Over and over and over again, Jesus prays. He prays in the midst of suffering. He prays in the midst of injustice. He prays in the midst of great joy. Jesus prays. In church, we are going to be people who pray. And don't get me wrong. Even in the midst of our prayer, we will suffer. Because you hear the world around us tell you that prayer isn't enough. That prayer isn't action. But church, I don't care what the world says about prayer. I care what God says about prayer. And he is very clear about what he says about prayer. And Jesus is clear about what he says about prayer. And Jesus is clear about what he did. Jesus prays. And so church, we too will pray. And I know that there are so many things for us to be praying about. So many things happening around us, so many things going on that we pray in our hearts and in our minds. But this morning, I want to focus on one thing. I want to point your prayers towards one thing. And in fact, 
uh, I want to give you the words to pray. Church, I want you to pray for Christ's return. And five simple words. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. You see, church, in those five words, you are saying more than you could ever say, more than words can even describe. Because when you pray for the return of Christ, you pray for the end of all suffering. And you pray for the restoration of creation. And you pray for broken relationships to be healed. And you pray for the healing of the sick. And you pray for the resurrection of the dead. And you pray for the life of the world to come. Church, when you pray for the return of Jesus, you are literally praying for the world to be changed. You're praying for a world to be restored to new life. Because that is what Jesus does for us. And church, I want Jesus to come back. And I know you do too. And so we will be people who pray. Because that's what Jesus tells us to do. That is what Jesus himself does. In the midst of injustice, in the face of suffering, in times of great joy, church, we will pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the hope and the resurrection and the promise of Jesus Christ. God, our righteous God, will answer our prayers according to his will. And he will send Jesus back for us. And so church, I invite you to pray with me this morning. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.